Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Saturday, December 30th, day 85 to the war with Hamas. Amanda Borsal-Dan here with our U.S. Bureau Chief, Jacob Magid. Hi, Jacob, and uh, happy early New Year. Hi, Amanda. Happy New Year, almost. We're going to discuss the U.S. fast-tracking the sale of munitions to Israel, an agreement in principle from Hamas to renew hostage negotiations, and Antony Blinken's upcoming trip to Israel. All this and more when we're back. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. We are recording just after the end of Shabbat in Jerusalem, and there are increased reports of activity along the northern border, including IDF strikes in Lebanon in retaliation to Hezbollah fire on northern Israel, and reportedly also strikes on the Aleppo airport. The IDF says troops of the 7th Armored Brigade have advanced further in southern Gaza while raiding Hamas sites in Khan Yunus, including the headquarters of the terror group's intelligence division in the city. The Wall Street Journal reports that around half of Gaza's buildings have been damaged or destroyed in the war there, a figure that also accounts for about 70% of homes. Jacob, we've spoken several times about the U.S.'s demand for increased humanitarian aid into Gaza, and Israel recently opened the Kerem Shalom crossing. So is the rate of aid, in fact, increasing? So it really has not, Amanda. We just saw yesterday the U.N. announced that only 81 trucks of humanitarian aid were able to enter Gaza through two crossings, both Israel's Kerem Shalom and Egypt's Rafah crossing. This is after Israel opened, reopened Kerem Shalom, but then it was had to reclose for actually three days earlier this week due to what the UN says was a combination of Israeli strikes around the area, um, basically aid being ransacked by Gazan locals, and also Israel using Kerem Shalom to transfer hundreds of prisoners that it's been taking from Gaza to back to Israel for investigations. Now, it's been reopened on Friday, and the expectation is that it will remain open, but it hasn't been this difference maker that the U.S. basically framed it as when, when the announcement was made by Israel that it was going to be reopening the crossing. This, this was the first time the aid was directly entering Gaza from Israel since the war started. But this idea that we would get to 200 trucks again, like it was happening each day during this truce last month, has not at all, we haven't come close to that. It's been lo- mostly below 100 trucks entering Gaza every day. 
um, with the same kind of back and forth blame game that we saw over the past few weeks where Israel says we're checking hundreds of trucks each day. The the bottleneck is not on our side. It's on U- Egypt and the UN that hasn't been able to basically keep up with this pace. While the UN and Egypt argue, no, this is not about keeping up the pace. It's impossible to try to deliver aid when we're trying to dodge Israeli airstrikes and military operations. So th- the same kind of song and dance is playing out, but not a really big difference in the amount of aid going into Gaza right now. And just to clarify, there are now two crossings open? Correct. Israel's Karim Shalom and Egypt's Rafa crossing, which has been open for for the past couple months already. And yet the aid has decreased. Okay, moving on. Qatari mediators have reportedly told Israel that Hamas agrees in principle to resume negotiations for the release of further hostages taken by the terror group during the October 7th atrocities in exchange for a truce of up to a month in the Gaza Strip. So, Jacob, what else do you know about the offer and where do you see the balance of power here? It's a good question. So in terms of the offer, uh, the other details that we can share, I spoke with an Israeli official who said that the idea is to get up to 50, maybe 40, but up to 50 hostages that are women, the remaining women, uh, the remaining elderly people in Gaza, and also people who are sick, sick hostages. Um, that that's the grouping that the Israel's trying to focus on right now before moving on to obviously soldiers or younger men that are that are also being held hostage. Um, it's a smaller group, but the idea is that Israel's going to have to agree to much more than just one week of pause and fighting, but pos- weeks long, possibly even a month. And then while it released basically a ratio of three to one of Palestinian prisoners for Israeli hostages, the number is either going to have to go up for the amount of Palestinian prisoners, or at least the quote-unquote the quality is how the, the word in Hebrew is being used, that um, we're going to have to possibly re- release prisoners with blood on their hands, bl- prisoners convicted of murder. This is something that Israel refused to do in the first round, but is is growingly, uh, increasingly recognizing that it's going to have to do this in, this to, in order to release further rounds of prisoners. Um, Basically, we've had this standstill for almost a month now since that seven-day truce at the end of November, where at that time we saw 105 hostages released for roughly 300 prisoners and, and a significant ramping up of aid into Gaza. There's been no real progress. I think Hamas, there have been some speculation that they expected that initial truce to be the end of the war and now does not want to see any sort of option on the table for a temporary um, truce, even if it's weeks long, that it wants it, it's been demanding a permanent ceasefire, even just as a precondition um, for talks that Israel has to withdraw all of its troops from Gaza, which is obviously a non-starter. And the idea for a temporary truce, which is what Israel is seeking, is a non-starter for Hamas. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of progress. And yet there's been this this very clearly coordinated campaign by Israeli officials to leak to the media over on Friday that there has been at least a step in the right direction, that there's the this one metaphor that was used is that we've gone from the deal being in the freezer to that, that coldest shelf in the fridge, that um, we're not really there yet. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but it seems that we're in the right direction. On the other hand, then we had a Hamas official, Osama Hamdan, who's based in Lebanon, basically tell Al Jazeera that the, the same kind of point about we're not interested in temporary ceasefire and that Israel, Israeli government officials are just leaking to media the, the false information about progress in order to fend off um, to growing domestic pressure for, for a deal. 
It sounds like the deal is not even half-baked. It's not even thawed. It's not even close to being thawed. Would you agree? Yeah, that's uh, this idea of being on the top shelf or the coldest shelf of the fridge. Um, I think Israel in the recent days has, has, has held off in allowing any fuel into Gaza, basically recognizing that this is Hamas's oxygen. It's how it powers its, its tunnels and a lot of, obviously, its weapons. And the hope is that this will squeeze the terror group further um, to maybe come to the table and talk about a temporary truce. I think Hamas feels maybe that we could talk about a month-long truce because then that's really hard for Israel to restart the fighting after an entire month of not doing so, that the economy in Israel needs its reservists back, that U.S. pressure that, that U, U.S. officials have been talking when they visited Israel about the, the, the war winding down to lower intensity in January. So if this truce takes you to February or mid-February, then and the idea of Biden being able to move toward a presidential campaign as the fighting in, in Israel remains high intensity seems less likely that, that maybe Hamas will agree to a month-long truce because it feels like that'll really bring us closer to an end of the war. We can use those weeks to, to negotiate some sort of longer-term political settlement. All right, we'll go to a short break. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4 by 4 Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. On Friday, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken fast-tracked the sale of munitions to Israel, bypassing congressional review over weapons being sent to Jerusalem for its war against Hamas for the second time this month because of the emergency situation. So, first of all, Jacob, is this kind of a bypass unusual? It is. It's not typically done. Um, definitely in other examples of wars, it's something that's very rare. And when the Trump administration did it um, with, with for Ukraine, with, with Secretary of State then Mike Pompeo, basically fast-tracking for the same emergency clause, he came under a lot of flack for it. This time, it seems like, obviously, decision was announced on a Friday um, between Christmas and New Year's, so it's able to maybe... They're hoping that it doesn't get too much attention because there has been criticism from Biden's left flank for not conditioning this aid on concrete steps that Israel will take um, to limit civilian casualties. However, there's overall a majority in Congress that's still supporting Israel with, with military aid, so it's not like it, this wouldn't get through eventually anyway. But uh, Blinken says that it, we're in this place where we need, it's, it's an emergency and that, that Israel really needs these. It's basically 155 millimeter artillery shells. That This is a package of aid that's worth $147 million. The same emergency clause was used to give another $106 million of aid. 
um, several weeks ago in, in artillery shells. So it's kind of interesting just to see how as the U.S. intensifies its rhetoric about the need to prevent civilian casualties and to wind down intensity, uh, high intensity fighting, that it still is continuing this basically daily supply of aid to Israel, um, that it's trying to at least balance the elite, the rhetoric in public with the actions in private. Um, and for now, we're not seeing any difference d- despite the rhetoric in, in the slowdown in munitions. So at the same time, there's this $106 billion uh, aid package for Israel and the Ukraine that's kind of, shall we go back to the sitting in the highest shelf in the refrigerator? It's <laughs> also not thought. It's not going anywhere. What's happening with this? Right. Um, so there's $106 billion, mostly for Ukraine. There's $14.6 billion is also for Israel, um, among that 106. Um, but it's being held up because of disputes in Congress over immigration and border issues and also Ukraine, Ukraine more broadly. Republic, a growing number of, of far-right Republicans are uncomfortable with U.S. support for Ukraine and want the U.S. to be not as involved in that war against Russia. And the, the decision by the Biden administration feels that like the only, this is the last opportunity because of shifting sands in the Republican Party that we're not going to be able to get aid to Ukraine for much longer. And the way to do that is to combine it with Israel aid, because that at least is something that's still bipartisan in Congress, despite the far left being against it, that you still have this current moment where we can get both of them in. But because of disputes that are are much more um, intense in Congress regarding the the border, uh, the southern border, the immigration issues that are don't seem to be solved any being solved anytime soon. This these this massive package of aid is not has not been moving through Congress. I think according to one um, congressional aide I spoke with a couple weeks ago, the feeling is that it eventually will get through when the Congress's back is put against the wall. That they'll they'll eventually get this this package through because. There still is a majority support for Ukraine. There still is a majority support for, for Israel in Congress. And that there might be some tick nicks to the package regarding immigration to get both sides on board. But eventually, it will get passed. So in the meantime, what Blinken is doing is essentially keeping the munitions flowing through this emergency measure. Correct. I think he's trying to buy time with with the with other aid options in the in the process that have already been initially earmarked for Israel. So it's easier for him to get that through. But eventually, I mean, if, if this drags on for months, then we'd be in a problem both for Israel and for Ukraine. Okay, Blinken is meant to come to Israel this week. When and what do you expect will happen here? Um. So he'll be arriving in the beginning or the middle of the week. The schedule still being finalized. He's expected to also be visiting several other countries in the region, um, among them Qatar, because the U.S. is really trying to advance the hostage negotiations. It recognizes that it also, for its public, there are American citizens that are still held in Gaza. This is something that Americans keep care very deeply about. Also, Biden cares deeply about this personally. He's been involved in it, meeting with some of these hostages' families. So that's a really big part of Blinken's trip. But obviously, once again, we're going to be talking about the day after. That's what the U.S. wants to be the wants Israel to focus on. It's what Israel's refused to focus on um, for, for months at this point. Netanyahu was supposed to hold a war cabinet meeting um, on Thursday night, 
regarding this issue for the first time after weeks of pressure. We had um, Ron Dermer, one of his top aides, go to Washington for talks, and that basically that was the, the top item agenda item for the U.S. and all of Dermer's meetings that we need Israel to start talking about what it wants to do in Gaza after the war because if you keep pl- fighting without a plan, you're going to get bogged down there forever. So Dermer returns back to Israel, tells Netanyahu they really want us to talk about this, and Netanyahu agrees to schedule a war cabinet meeting. He does that, and then um, basically comes under a ton of pressure um, by Betzala Smotrich and Itamar Bengvir, but mainly Smotrich, who say that, hey, we're not part of the war cabinet meeting. We want to be in these discussions because if you guys hold these discussions, you'll start talking about the Palestinian Authority re- returning back to Gaza, which is something we don't approve. Now, the, the logic to argue that is a little bit tough because Netanyahu has had his own campaign basically saying publicly for, for weeks that there, he won't allow Gaza to become uh, Hamastan, which has already been, or Fatahstan. Fatah is the Mahmoud Abbas's political party, and he doesn't want Abbas returning to Gaza. So that's been Netanyahu's campaign, but I guess Smotrich and Bengvid aren't t- totally convinced that behind closed doors he won't allow that exact uh, Fatahstan to be created. I think there's some logic into that concern, that inability to trust Netanyahu. I think, I know Ron Dermer has been talking about this term called the RPA, a Reformed Palestinian Authority. So there is obviously a willingness from the Israeli side, or at least Netanyahu's inner circle, to talk about the PA in a Reformed capacity returning to Gaza. Um, And therefore, Smutrich says, we need to be in this meeting. And Netanyahu eventually caves to pressure and cancels the meeting at the last minute that was supposed to be held on Thursday night to discuss day after in Gaza. And now it's slated to be t- discussed in the broader security cabinet with both Smotrich and Ben-Gvir there um, on Tuesday next week. So it'll probably coincide right around when Blinken is in Israel. And the expectation is that despite Smotrich and Ben-Gvir being in the meeting, we're still going to talk about some sort of scenario where it isn't just Israel in tr- control of Gaza after the war. Jacob, thank you so much for all of these updates. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by The Pod Waves. If you have any comments or questions about this or other episodes, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. <laughs>